Hey, everybody. Today's episode, Andres Kalarich. Uh, interesting dude talking about uh, business and technology. And then I was choking up there at the end as he talked about uh, some of the other stuff. What do you think, Maurice? Yeah, I I, I really like it. He's, he's very different from everything else that we've seen mm-hmm. so far. Yeah. Not a lot of zigzagging as far as career is concerned, but he had to do a major pivot with his business, which I think is very interesting. He talked a lot about, and you're going to see some of the red lines that we talk about all the time, right? Or that comes up all the time. You will recognize some of those um, red lines. And actually, when the camera was off, uh, he talked about that uh, he did some stand-up comedy. Um, that's unfortunate that we didn't get to that, but hey, next episode. There we go. I have to have that. See, that's the next episode with him, and that's the guy that you have, right? That's uh, that's Andres Andres Klarich, uh, for you, and um, yeah, keep watching. It's, it's super interesting. All right, you guys, let's get this started, then, right? Because really, what could go wrong once you press record? Right? Exactly, what could go wrong? <laughs> it's all going to be very perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crazy People Doing a Podcast or the Crazy People Podcast, whichever you want to call it. Uh, in chair number three, I am Ross Brummel over here. Over there in chair number one, the captain of curiosity, Maurice Hoffman. And uh, today with us, our honored guest, Andres Klarik. Try to get all the accents and stuff in there. Welcome, Andres. Hey, Russ. Uh, I'm Maurice. Thank you for having me here. It's absolutely our pleasure. Uh, where are you based out of? I'm based out of New York right now. Uh, this is just the background. <laughs> I'm not in space or something. That uh, our, our office is close to Times Square or Bryant Park, depending on how, how sophisticated we you want to sound. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, perfect. As I, as I said in the intro, until a few years ago, I was based out, based out of New York Metro, which is fancy for uh, New Jersey. <laughs> the town called West New York, New Jersey. And that's yeah. a lot of fun if you bring it up in, in New York. They're like, what are you? Are you in New York or New Jersey? No, it's, that's the name of the town. It's West New York, New Jersey. No, that's yeah. not possible. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, I, I claim to be a New Yorker too, but I spent 25 years out on Long Island. And yes, you, you ask anybody from New York City, they're like, no, nah, that doesn't count. That's it's completely a whole other world out there. Forget it. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, great to have you on. Um, I already see in your background uh, from the Fuse. So tell me, um, let me jump right in. Uh, what does Fuse do? Fuse is a loan origination system. So it, 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 we, what we do is facilitate loans, right? It's the, the technology, technology layer that banks, finance companies, credit unions, community banks use in order for a loan to be originated, right? So whenever you apply for a loan, that entire workflow is designed in a piece of technology. That piece of technology orchestrates uh, a bunch of uh, API calls. For example, run your credit, uh, check your, uh, check for fraud, verify income, verify employment, and all those sorts of uh, uh, kind of verifications. What we what our tool does is orchestrate all of that, right? I mean, we work with hundreds of vendors, uh, and that enables us to kind of uh, 
for for banks or any other type of lenders working with us to do it so in the fastest way possible. That sounds uh, super complicated, but yet interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is complicated indeed. It, it, it is uh, the type of product that takes a lot of co or, or coordination and you need very good engineers to put that together in order to simplify it and make it possible for folks to do it, to do so in, in a way that it's not uh, mind-bending, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. How do you how do you get around to founding something like that? I've seen and I I I looked at your LinkedIn page, like you know, like people do yeah. these days, and, yeah. and I see that you have an investment background. And from what the one red line that we have with all the founders that we talk to, mm -hmm. they saw a mess in their um, in their job. And then decided to solve that mess, right? And solve the problem, whatever they they were confronted with, and then create yeah. a company out of that. Is that the same for you? It was similar. Uh, we we actually started as a direct to consumer brand, so we were problem solving for that uh, more like mass market problem that was access to credit, right? So that 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 in a, that vein, we started there. When we realized. There was not only like just access to credit that was the issue. When you just double click it, and and you see the the, the architecture and kind of the, the infrastructure in which uh, lenders are built, you realize that the issue it's it, it's not them being slow. It's like them being slow by the, the technological tech stacks that are old and antiquated and they need a very big lift, right? So, I, I if anything, out of luck, we kind of we started direct to consumer we moved into direct b2b uh but had we not started that, that original direct to consumer we would have not had the insights of having that unique what i would consider customer empathy because we were the first customer of the product we built as as we built the product our lenders approached us and they were like instead of selling us loans why don't you sell us technology so uh, having that kind of realization as an organization that hey, uh, the the what what the what the market wants is beyond our, our loans is they actually want our technology. So we we were pretty proud that like actually we had already built that. So we needed to productize it in such a way uh, that we could actually go to market as as an enterprise software company versus uh, just a, a direct to consumer brand. Yeah, that that has to be a pivot because um, it is a pivot. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you go to consumers and then you change to B two B, that I mean everything, essentially everything has to change in how you how you look at your business, right? Because the marketing Absolutely. has to be different. Your your target audience has to be different. Your entire presentation of who you are and what you do um, has to pivot, right? How did you how did you manage that? It, it it is a it is a realization that at least as a as a founding team uh, you have to have a very honest conversation kind of what i always kind of call with my co-founder you need to fall in love again with your co-founders and kind of like a new renewing the vows so to speak in which the, the two of us kind of realize hey like we do have a much better opportunity in 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 the enterprise SaaS that market uh, that will mean that, like to some extent, the, the composition of the team will have to change, the go-to market motion will have to change, the brand yeah. will have to change, uh, and we will have to have uh, a multiple 
times of what we had in terms of conviction that like that new market was there. What, what we were lucky is that we had raised plenty of capital. So like we, we had a, a lot of gas in the tank uh, to go in the near direction. And we were able to sign a new customer that, will, that validated that level of conviction that we had. I, I, I would say that what do you need to do in these situations is keep everyone informed, your investors, your employees, uh, as many stakeholders as you have to not, to not create any conflict in such a way that you ensure success of that transition. But a pivot is not easy. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, in our case, we were lucky that it was kind of the, the pool of our customers, so to speak. But I mean, it, it's still uh, something that needs to be orchestrated quite well and executed even better than what you were doing before because all, all of the things you mentioned, right? That there's just so many stakeholders that, that need to be uh, kind of kept in the loop. Yeah. Did you have, at, at that time, when you when you made the pivot, you, did you already have consumer customers? Oh yeah, we, we were doing like a, a, a bunch of loans every every month, right? So yeah. what, 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 we had, what we did is like, we, we, we still kept that, uh, that, that website up just to like continue getting traffic and, and, and apply any learnings that we could do. But of course, uh, uh, with time like that, at some point you just stop taking applications, right? But yeah. uh, in terms of like finalizing and making sure that every single customer that had gone through that 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 process kind of was fulfilled and all of our contractual obligations were fulfilled, um, we, 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 we did all of that, right? Like it, it was a very well, like before and after and making sure that, that we were not, uh, leaving anyone dissatisfied to uh, post pivot, right? Like, uh, as I mentioned, just communicate, over communicate in such a way that there's, there are no surprises. Nice, interesting. Something else that you said, and that is something that is, uh, Russ had to smile when you said it, because it's, it's, it's becoming a red line uh, for, for a lot of the founders and for the, the themes that we have that you said, mm -hmm. And you phrased it so nicely that you said you had to fall in love again with your co-founders, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think it's a, it's a perfect summary of um, what the relationship with your co-founders has to be, right? In a platonic way, mm -hmm. obviously, but yeah. <laughs> uh, <just laughs> joking aside, I mean, that because you spend so much time with them and, uh, and you have to be, you have to find a basis that is so honest with them that it yeah. has to be comparable to a, almost to a romantic um, relationship, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's the person you spend the most time in your life with. Like, it it yeah. is like, mm -hmm. you, not even, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, you definitely don't spend as much time with your parents. You do not spend as much time even with you, your loved ones, right? So that having a, a very high base level of honesty and, kind of being able to, to have conversations that are productive and professional is very important. I think that uh, I had the, the fortune of meeting my co-founder in the context of business school, but I would, I would say I also have the fortune that like we, we have the base level is like a very professional relationship of trust. And that, 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 that goes be, be before anything, right? Like there's nothing gets in the way. It's not that like, there's love that there's there's that there's like a friendship the most important thing is that we have 
this professional bond in common. And that is kind of like of the highest, uh, it has set the standard of how everything else is conducted, right? And, and that falling in love is also kind of along the lines of like, if I ever did this again, uh, meaning to go in the venture route, it will most likely just be with that person, right? Like, because there is just mm -hmm. so much trust that is built. Um, and uh, it's just so exciting to just put together this organization. Of course, it's not only us, right? It's the support of our families, the support of investors, and most importantly, like uh, employees that, that trust us and, and work with us at such an early stage, right? Yeah, I totally get that. So you founded in 2020, correct? Yeah, the, the legal entity was founded in 2020, like the, the, but we started kind of really operating two years ago. Yeah, okay. And there was nothing going on in the world as you're trying to start a company in that kind of situation, especially in New York. It was just like, there's nothing happening, right? So. Yeah, nothing special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was very fertile ground, though. There was just so much stuff going on that everyone was kind of uh, challenging uh, what, what the base level of everything was, right? Like, what what is e-commerce is going to look like? How 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 much of how, how would the economy behave? Like, how much would it go into e-contracting? Uh, how how we would even think about cars, right? Like, there was just a shortage in production, then like a, a peak in demand. People were talking about like it, just so many things, and and. So for us, if anything, it was probably one of the most unique times to kind of like challenge those notions. And uh, and, I, and I guess like for, for a while, life felt very, life is fragile, right? But like it felt increasingly fragile during that period of time. So I think we all, we all felt as, as an entire global community that hey, we, we want to make the best out of this the time we have here. So... Uh, what type of impact do you want to have as a professional, as a family member, uh, as a friend? And I think for for me, like at least as a, at a professional level, it, it was a very, very unique time in that. And aside from all the, of course, the human tragedy and pain that it brought, I think I, I remember it as a very unique opportunity to really uh, reconsider and and, uh, and kind of change the direction of my career. <laughs> That uh, Ross, does that sound like something familiar to you? Reconsider and change direction because that is exactly yeah. uh, the time where um, when I moved to Germany in September that year, and shortly after I left the, the company that Ross and I worked in <laughs> together. <laughs> so <laughs> I totally get when you when you're saying that. But the other side, and that is just and that is just on a, on a company level, right? The other side, since since 2020 and everything that was going on there 2020 2021 um a lot more has happened in new york right there's a huge uh price spike right uh yes. out of manhattan now they're moving back into manhattan uh, at least those that can afford it and there's a lot of things going on where it seems like so many things in the city are shifting how did you manage that with your staff right how did you manage yes manage them and allow them to go through these phases yeah i mean we were originally born as a fully remote business right so like the pandemic kind of enabled us to to do so uh, as a 
as an entrepreneur, the nice thing about moving into New York during the pandemic is that you could actually lock very, very affordable rates. So you could actually bootstrap the early days of the kind of research and validation of the business. So um, that it, in, in a way, like I kind of reduce to the maximum my own spend in such a way that I could actually allocate resources on a tactical basis to, uh, to what the business was. Um, the, the in, in that, to some extent that that philosophy of where uh, our employees work from and it has kind of remains the same. We have an hybrid structure. We have some folks in the U.S., some folks overseas, and we try to organize uh, once or twice, uh, kind of get-togethers, regional or like global get-togethers in such a way that it, the the relationships go beyond the the rectangular square, <laughs> so to speak. But yeah, New York has changed a lot. I mean, I've been on and off in New York for the last 12 years. And this, at least on the residential side, definitely prices are back to normal, if not higher. But when you think about commercial real estate, right? Like you just see some of these towers just looking around here out of the window, there, there are so many empty buildings, right? So it, it just, goes to show that in, in certain categories, uh, folks are just not going back to the office yet, even in the large, one of the largest metropolises in the world. Yeah, yeah it's, it's almost like as if uh, employees kind of have proven that working from home works, and now there's no way <laughs> that you're getting them back, right? It's like, no, 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 no. You can't tell me anything anymore. It works. Be quiet yeah. now. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, it's one of those benefits, I think that we're going to go back to some kind of, kind of middle of the road. Uh, we'll see what happens from a, if there's how big of a soft, if the soft landing uh, path that like in theory we're in materializes and like the, the tightening of the, uh, of the job market kind of discontinues, there's a little more loosening there. I imagine there will be a little bit of uh, more going back to work, but I, that the the, the five-day work week uh, the way that we we were our, most of our careers have been i think is uh it's it, it's safe to say that like it's almost ceased to exist in, in, in its original form yeah yeah i moved out of new york in 2001 but there was plenty of people that out that came from where i lived out on long island which was an hour and a half hour and 45 minutes from manhattan by train and they'd go that they'd ride the train in every morning, work all day, ride the train home every night, five days a week. And that was just, that was what they had done. That's what their parents had done. And there was like, this is, this is how life is. And then for two years, yeah. everybody sat home and they're like, maybe this isn't how life is anymore. Hang on a second. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. But you're, you're right, Andres, is, is that, and we've talked with other people who who run really kind of remote or sort of hybrid remote companies and the ability to hire people where they are for the talent that you're looking for and the personality and the approach that you're looking for is, is huge. There's New York is maybe one of the biggest talent pools in the whole world, right? If you, if you need to find somebody, you can find them in New York, but maybe they're out on Long Island or they're upstate or they're in Connecticut or they're in West New York, New Jersey and Maurice's old place. Right. And, and so, so they could be anywhere and they could have that hour and a half commute in or whatever. Right. So being able to just get to work and get at it remotely, whether they're in Europe or Asia or California, New York, or wherever they are, it's, it's, it's really solid. How have you though, kept up with the, 
the culture side of it. Cause what you mentioned early, like trust is central to everything you do. How do you, how do you build that same kind of trust far away? I think that the, it's, it's not easy, right? Like there's no one, uh, uh, one solution for everything, but I think that uh, communicating uh, to the team, what the set of goals are like kind of keeping up to date, um, they, they miss all the water pool conversations. They don't exist, right? Or it, it's very hard to kind of recreate those moments uh, on, yeah. on a remote culture. So I think it's to the extent possible is verbalizing to them what's happening, right? Like the customer wins. How do you actually uh, show to them like the, the, the business is getting the traction that they, they see, right? So they don't work in a vacuum in which the yeah. work feels like pointless, right? It, it, it shouldn't be that way. So it, it's my co-founder and my role to really get them excited, keep them posted, keep them that peace of mind that the leadership is, act, is, is laser focused and keeping the lights on, right? And, 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 and keep, keep them doing exciting and engaging work uh, is it, fundamental. We, we do like to be more specific, we do do like happy hours and, uh, and, and activities like in order to kind of tell me about yourself and like kind of put people on the spot in a cute way to like for them to like to share uh, things that are outside of work, talk about music, Slack channels just for music, things like that that like just seem minor, but it, I think to create little by little uh, culture. But, but I, I do think that like even at this stage, uh, any leader that it has a remote business uh, will tell you that it, it, it culture is like it, it's it's a everyday thought, uh, but it, it's not like settled science. What's the best way to keep engaged? I, I think that uh, people like the freedom, but I, I would say for junior employees, uh, it I, I, to some extent it, it's it's probably arguably better to like be perhaps in an office, right? Because it, they're like starting early days. Uh, whereas for individual senior contributors, having them remotely is, is, is probably what they would like in ma many instances. It, it just finding that middle and, and, and trying to see what, what, that, what that secret sauce is for your organization, the type of product you're building, and the client base that you're serving. Yeah, yeah I see Maurice's ears perking up talking about uh, young, and, young employees and, and new folks developing. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, that's because uh, I. Uh, that's exactly what my team is like, right? And my team is spread out between a northern city uh, in in Germany, about a hundred twenty miles from here, and then another one is in Barcelona, which is uh, an hour and a half, two hours flight from here, which is not a lot by American standards, but for Europe, it's um, it's ridiculous, right? <laughs> I can't even get out of my state in an hour and a half. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I've been there. <laughs> As you know, I've seen 42 states, so I know exactly. But I, Andres, I, I want to I wanna, um, pivot a little bit because um, I'm looking at your name and it's not the most straightforward name there is, right? It looks like a culture clash just in your name. So give us a bit of your origin story, uh, your background. Yeah, so I have a Croatian background from my dad's side and from my mom's side, where uh, Bolivian, Chilean, so to speak. Uh, that's kind of the, our background, right? I mean, I I was born in Tennessee, though. I was born in Chattanooga. Uh, 
But based on my accent, I always joke that it's uh, a Southern Hemisphere accent, <laughs> not a not a not a Southern state type of accent. Sounds like I, a Tennessee accent to me, man. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I had the fortune, yeah. I had I had the fortune of being born in America, so I grew up I grew up in Bolivia, kind of knowing that one day I, I, I will come back here, uh, and that's uh, I, in a way, like I now by now I've been aside from being born here, I've been uh, what, what, 16, 17 years back in the U.S. My adult life has been in America, right? I haven't been able to get rid of my accent, but all my adult memories, been tired of my professional career, and, and in, in all likelihood, like uh, a good chunk of uh, the, the time I have left on earth is gonna be spent in America, right? I think that now when I go back to Bolivia, it's, it, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's like when you play an old video game, it, it, the graphics, uh, the, for them, it's probably they, they, the way they experience me. It's like, wow, this guy's trapped in 06. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like a time machine for them. For me to see that that that's kind of like what I remember and what I what I used to experience being there. While we're at your origin story, tell us how how did you how did it happen? How did you go to school? What were your interests? How did you end up in finance? Yeah to get to your to your spot where you're at now absolutely so grew up in bolivia uh i moved to the u.s uh, a little bit before undergrad started um at that point i got a job at a, at a car dealership in in northern virginia um in essence i that that was like the first of two or three summers that i was there i helped my parents pay for college selling cars uh selling cars was just uh uh, probably one of the most formative experiences of my life because you deal with so much so much rejection, right? Like out of the gates, you're an 18 year old and and the perception that people generally have of salespeople and particularly car sell, uh, people in car sales, it's, 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 it's not necessarily positive, right? Like it's neutral at best for some people. So uh, having that experience and and being able to convince someone within a span of like, I don't know, one, two, three hours to spend 15, 20, $30,000 in you, because at the end of the day, a car is a car, right? But like you being able to convince them that you, that, that they should get the car from you versus any other person, that, that, that in itself was a, it was a great experience. I'm very grateful that I had it. And, uh, and, and I, I would highly recommend anyone, uh, uh, to get those type of experiences early on because it's it's just rejection is is a powerful tool to, and, and it, the sooner you face it the better uh yeah. it's going to help you in everything you're going to be you're gonna, you, you, you're, you're going to trip so many times in your life that you might as well just <laughs> trip pretty fast <laughs> and make mistakes <laughs> soon uh and that, that was that then i then i went to undergrad i went uh graduated from penn uh uh, in Philadelphia, and then I went to Wall Street for ten years. I was an investor. I started as an investment banker, then I switched into investing, investing in tech and business services. So in a way, I was intimately familiar with the type of business that I'm running today, but from the investor perspective, right? So I kind of knew how scalable this type of businesses are, the margins, the problems, and, and kind of what makes them attractive to investors, and like what it makes them attractive to founders leading them. Um, went to Harvard for my MBA. That's how I met my co-founder eight years ago. 
And uh, that's that's kind of like the short story. I'm double, happy to double click on any of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a funny way of saying it. So how was Howard like? Because uh, for I'm even though I lived in the U.S. for ten years, Howard is like the the big university, right? The, huh. the, the big the big thing of dreams and whatever that you hear of. So how is it? How was it like? I mean. I, 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 I do uh, agree that like for me, it was a dream too, right? Like it, it's something that you put as a North star and I, when it happens, you know, it, it's a combination of luck, right? It's uh, there, there, there are so many other very talented people that, uh, that apply. And I, I think like the imposter syndrome hits everyone if not, well, not everyone, but I'm sure a good chunk of, of the people attending. Uh, I, I comparatively to my, my initial uh, undergrad experience, I, I was able to have them to be a little bit more mature and kind of make the best out of that opportunity, right? So uh, from day one, I took full advantage of, of being a student and trying to make the best out of the network. You cannot be, uh, do everything, right? Like you're not gonna be able to hang out with every person that goes there or, or take all the classes. But for me, something that I wanted to do is like to speak people that get to know folks that were a little bit older than me that were later in their career. So what I did is I put as an objective to kind of have conversations every week with someone interesting with of the alumni network, right? Like someone that works at SpaceX, a PhD in one field, or like someone that works in certain investment funds. And like, I did that in two years, you have, like when you think about like 52, 53 weeks a year, you end up speaking with like like over a hundred people, if not more, that, that otherwise you wouldn't have the opportunity to just uh, call outreach through LinkedIn, right? Like. Being able to say, "Hey, I, I'm an, uh, I'm a student here getting the MBA. I want to have a conversation. It'd be great. I mean, there's 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 good and bad of uh, of, of uh, things that could happen like when you go there. But in general, I think it's it's tra it's a transformative experience uh, if you want to make it transformative. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very interesting uh, approach to to utilize that network. The last time I've heard something like that. Is when I I heard um, actually I think it was at Penn uh, or um, when Magic Johnson spoke there, and he uh, he talked about how when he started with the Lakers back then, and Dr. Buss kind of became his the late Dr. Buss kind of became his adopted father, the owner of the LA Lakers, the NBA basketball team, and um, what Magic did is. He asked Dr. Bass to introduce him to everyone that had floor seats and kind of get in contact with them and see how they made it. Mm. Right. Which seems a yeah. similar similar strategy, right? You really utilizing yeah. the, the reach and the contacts that are available to you to really get their knowledge and to really get their side of the of um, yeah, their their share, get get a share of their experiences. I find it fascinating. How did they reach out to them? The vast majority took the call. Like it, it, it's, uh, and and you have like those, yeah, I would say like 90, if not 95% of folks that you reach out to will, will, will set a meeting with you. And you will be, you will speak with CEOs, head of investment funds. It's, that's the beauty about that network, right? It, it's, in uh, and, and that sense of like paying it forward is, it's amazing. I, I, I think if, if I try to do it now, I never, I haven't tried it much as an, as an alum, 
but uh, I do think that at that point it was your people are have very low defenses when when it comes to like uh, a current student. So I to the to the extent that like the, the student base of listeners they they don't have to be at Harvard either to do this. Like they're amazing alumni everywhere in every school, and their emails are right there. Right, just go into that database and reach out to them. And even for folks that are having gone to university, like there's there's LinkedIn. There's many other channels, and I'm sure that if you insist enough, someone will like pick up and try to really talk to you and 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 give you like sure. In general, it's not that they feel that they made it either. I haven't met that many people that felt that they made it. I think that they they still think that their work in progress is, yeah. uh, and they they will be more than happy to at least share some of the decision criteria that they follow like some frameworks they might have utilized yeah yeah that's that's a really cool idea though because you know we we all have so to speak a a a tool chest right and we can have like one relationship in it or we could have a hundred and it's just being intentional about saying hey i let's go meet some people let's go see what they're doing and maybe i'll learn a little something from them and maybe they'll learn a little something from me and you know we'll we'll share something and then We'll see. Maybe there's something yeah. to, to do down the road that I go, oh, yeah, I met this person you know, six months ago and they can help this other person or I can make a connection or something, right? Something in the business, whatever it is. That's a that's a, a, a very cool way for it. For, uh, that's a mature way, I think you said, right? for, for a young man to think. That's cool. What is uh, one of the best stories that you heard and what is one of the craziest stories that you heard? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, we have to be on brand here. There has to be something to do. <laughs> I mean, without giving names, but I, I, I had the oh, opportunity. Yeah, yeah. But I had the opportunity once to run into like the someone that was like a chairman of a, a board of like an like like Fortune 500 company. But this was not in the context of like sending an email. But it, I, I was at a hotel and. And uh, I was just having a beer. This was in uh, in Athens, and this person was sitting right next to me, and uh, we started chatting. And I kind of mentioned at first the conversation was not necessarily going anywhere, just at surface level. And at some point, I did mention that I had gone to HBS, right? And and at that point, the person was, oh. I'm also a class of like something sometime in the 60s <laughs> or 70s. And the conversation went from like, oh, the Acropolis looks nice to like, hey, um, my, uh, my family's not here. You want to you want to have dinner? Or, so we ended up having dinner with the person told me like, a bunch of stories of uh, uh, boards that he had been into, like uh, and talked to me about his like car collection and th- things like that. It, in essence, he had lived a life that very few. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was able to kind of ask him about just his perspective on on a couple of like like big top ten leaders right now. Talk about politicians, and it it was it was just great to see like how normal we you tend to kind of put create a myth around these people, and they're just like everyone else, right? Of course, like they <laughs> they. they They've amassed an incredible amount of uh, economic and mm-hmm. just clout and every every things like that. But for, to me, it felt like as if I was just hanging out with uh, with my grandfather. <laughs> it didn't. Yeah. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't feel like 
it, it just felt like, oh, it, it, my grandfather had this experiences. This other grandfather had this experiences, and and and, and I, that was kind of like on the kind of fascinating. I remember coming out and just calling my dad and mom and be like, "You're not gonna believe what the last four or five hours have been." I just just learned so much. Just <laughs> cool idea. Uh, but you have like things like that that you, you sometimes you will speak with people that are investors and like or or people work in science and they they do they would all have like some set of priorities and scales on how they really measure their their lives right and yeah. um uh yeah that's I, I don't know if i fully answered the question but it, that's that, that that's oh, kind yeah. of like something like that. that that's that's perfect that's perfect it's the, the funny thing is that's something that i've learned and i've i i used to work in music industry uh, for a while that uh, and I'm, I met really very prominent musicians and mm -hmm. I met people that nobody have ever heard of and probably mm -hmm. never will. And um, what I found out that those that really are globally known have nothing to prove. They are so next door, other than obviously their lifestyle, right? But from a, yeah. from a personality perspective and their professionalism. They are so as next door as they as you ever could be, right? Because they don't have anything to prove. They know who they are. They know what they've achieved. They don't have to pretend anything, right? They're just yeah. relaxed, right? Leaning back, and relaxed. Um, so I can I can relate to that part where really like, wow, this is crazy. That is that person, and he does it. I remember a little story and. Uh, because it's so out there. I remember having done an interview with Ice-T and then walking the streets with him. And back then we were like, my my partner and I, we were like 20, 21, the, right? We were just working at a local TV station and working, walking the street with Ice-T, which was our hero back then, uh, sometime in the 90s. And um, so we were talking and it was just like talking to a dad or to an uncle until he walked by some kind of Ferrari and was like, oh, that's the one I just ordered. And then suddenly <laughs> this gap was there, back there again, right? Because yeah. I struggled to have my Mark I Golf and keep that going, right? And he talked yeah. about one of the Ferraris that he just owned. And yeah. then suddenly the gap popped up again, right? And it's, yeah. it's funny that way, yeah. yeah. If you were to meet your 16-year-old self, probably still living in Bolivia at that time, right? Yeah. yeah. What would you tell him? What advice would you give him? I, 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 I think if anything, at that stage, I did have like very high expectations of what I wanted to be like. Of course, I, I, what I would say is just, just enjoy that moment in, in, in the sense that like life is going to pass very fast and just stay for, I, I wouldn't say lack of focus was not ever an issue, like, but I, I, I would definitely tell that young self, also enjoy that process, right? Like don't, don't, I think when life feels pretty linear at that stage in terms of like that checklist, I would say up until your late twenties, right? It, 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 at least the way that I imagine my life was very linear it was undergrad then like three to four years uh, of, of a job then going to business school for two years so that at that point you have your first 27 28 years of your life figured out right like in the same as if you're going to either like med school law school if you kind of go those routes of like uh 
college education and, and post-grad or grad school education, it just feels like pretty predictable. What you forget is that how much, how many other things are moving variables in life, right? And, and I think that you lack that perspective as a young person and in, in, in terms of like, hey, like you also, this is gonna be a very enjoyable process and like you're not gonna get back any of these years, right? So in college, just get to meet uh, all these interesting people, take advantage of the classes. Maybe don't focus that much on like, I mean, I, I make, I always say like, don't, don't try to be a double or triple major and just five minors, right? Like just do one major that, that is highly applicable in, in the, in the mar job market uh, that you have. And then like just try to pick up as many interesting classes, right? I, I wish I would have taken a little more philosophy classes instead of taking more, uh, some of the classes that, that filled kind of my ambition of getting multiple majors, right? Yeah. Um, that I would say, and, and, and nurture, keep, keep nurturing relationships with family right like i i i would one i think it's it as time passes uh and there's there's that that article right that by the time you're 18 i think you live like 90 to 95 percent of the time left uh or you you spent night like some high 90s percent of time with your parents just just be very conscious about that, or especially if you're a 16 year old, right? Like you're at that tail end on that, of that, of that chunk of time that you have left with your parents and siblings, just really treasure that. Um, because there's gotta be time for friends. There's gonna be time for love. There's gonna be time for profession. Like it really is the last period of your time at home, right? So yeah. eat as much of that, uh, uh, home cooked food and, uh, remind your parents that you love them because that, the energy that they give you it's going to be like that rocket ship into many things right like parents are that that inalienable source of love and self-belief I, I mean they believe in you before you ever you ever believed in anything right like it's, yeah. i cannot think of they're like the rocket fuel i would never attribute my any of my successes to just myself I, we're all the sum of efforts and and they are, I would attribute the majority of it to, to their unconditional love and the sacrifices that they make. So those for the like 16 year old, like, don't be that tough with your parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's I, awesome. Uh, I definitely will keep that little plaidoyer there and uh, save it for when my son is at that age. <laughs> <laughs> Play it back. Here, listen to this. Play it back. Hey, listen. <laughs> Fantastic, Andres. I, I really enjoyed our time. I think it was highly informative and so different from everything else that we've heard so far in our expansive time as yeah. the podcast host. <laughs> just dozen of episodes. You know? <laughs> one last thing before we go Andres um tell the tell the little tell Maurice the little short story of how you're connected to the crazy people podcast oh yeah so uh, my my girlfriend's uh former roommate is uh Eleanor and I think he spoke with Hannah Na. uh and ah. I and I I saw that you, you had spoken with them and and I thought hey like if uh, if if they enjoy that conversation, I, I think I, I should definitely reach out to them. And th that's that I even 
mentioned my girlfriend, hey, do you think I can just reach out to them? Do you think it'd be fine? And that, that, that's kind of the, the story. My, my, my girlfriend, who's the Norwegian, that, that I actually attribute, the, I, I put all the responsibility on the legal entity of you being called what it's called. It's, it's one of the best friends of one of your former interviewees. So that's kind of the origin story of that. And I reached out to Russ and the rest is history. See, there you go. Fantastic. I didn't know about that. That's yeah. Yeah. It's a small, crazy world. There you go. Yeah. Small, crazy world. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Thank you so much for sharing your experience, mm -hmm. your story with us. I'm pretty sure the audience had a blast watching this. And um, yeah, people, um, come back, click back on for the Crazy People podcast and meet more interesting people like Andres just here. And uh, see you soon. Bye bye. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.